The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Morning, guys. How you doing? Doing all right? Yeah. Yeah? It's uh, frigid for South Carolina. It's, uh, it's like the Arctic out there for us, isn't it? Kind of crazy. Like it's cool to like to live in South Carolina in Myrtle Beach and wear a sweater because it's like like Thanksgiving time. That's what you're supposed to do. But wear one and not be sweating because you did it. Like actually have to wear one because you actually need a sweater and like a scarf. Because I see girls running around all the time with scarves and it's like 79 degrees outside. And like you are really suffering for this fashion statement that you're making this morning. Um, but this morning, like you can really wear like for real. You need a scarf out there. It's pretty cool. Um, as as Dale said, uh, I'm sure we're. You know, we have a lot of stuff to be thankful for. I'm sure wherever, wherever you are, whatever your life is like, I, I saw something this week that, uh, just by the way, as you're thinking about Thanksgiving, um, I saw a video this week that said, "Hey, and, and don't spend less time trying to think about like." to feel profoundly thankful. Like, you know that, that kind of pressure when it comes to a holiday? Like, it, you're, like maybe you're halfway through Thanksgiving or it's like the night before or that morning and, and you just like, all of a sudden you feel like, oh man, it's Thanksgiving. I need to be really thankful. And so like, you really search to try to like, try to find that profoundly thankful feeling to God. Um, but it, this video that I, this is just bonus by the way, it doesn't have anything to do with what I'm talking about this morning, but it's Thanksgiving week. Uh, this video said, uh, instead of trying to be profoundly thankful for, for, for whatever you have, whatever you've been given, whatever station you're your life in today. It said, just get down on the floor and enjoy what God has given you. Like as if you gave a, a toy to your child, instead of like telling your child to sit there and be profoundly thankful to you, like you would, you would gain enjoyment out of them getting down on the floor and playing with a toy that you gave them. And so, like, on Thanksgiving, as you're, as you're gathering around the table or you're cooking the bird or whatever it is, you're, like, I don't know, how many people are here are, you're, you're, a, you're a roasting the turkey person? And how many people are here are a frying the turkey person? I think the world is divided in two sets of people. How many people are, first of all, how many people are the frying the turkey person? Like, that's how we do the bird. We drop it in the oil, Old South way. Let me say, I don't see him again. Okay, you guys are true Southerners. How many people, you're like the roast and the bird. You throw them in the oven. I am sorry, guys. Have you ever tried it before? Have you had fried turkey before ever in your life? It's amazing. I mean, it's... <laughs> what just happened? Did I, did I lose my, my water? You're what? You're the eating the turkey kind of guy? Well, that's good. Um... Anyway, uh, as many things as you have to be thankful for this Thanksgiving, um, guys who have been here along the journey with us, we're finishing the book of Ephesians. Somehow we took, in my, in my Bible, I was thinking about this last night, like this is the book of Ephesians. Boom. Done. Short chapter. You can, short book, you can read it in like, what, 15, maybe 30 minutes if you're a slow reader. Like if, but we somehow took, as a baby church plant, uh, we stretched this thing out eight, nine months but I've enjoyed the ride. I hope you have enjoyed the ride, whether you are here from the beginning or you jumped on at the end and you're like, uh, what, what's taking you so long? Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to wrap it up, the book of Ephesians, uh, this week. And the reason that we originally put, picked the book of Ephesians is because the book of Ephesians, it was a letter, actually, to begin with. It wasn't a book. Like, Paul didn't write it, as far as we know, like, thinking, like, hey, this is going to go down in the Bible and it's going to be profound. He was writing a letter 
to a church or a group of churches around the city of Ephesus where he went and planted churches. And the church in Ephesus, which is a city of about 250, 300,000 people, which, by the way, is about the size of the Myrtle Beach area. The, the greater Myrtle Beach area is like 330,000 people. It's about the same size. Ephesus was a tourist town. Hello. So, like, and the reason it was a tourist town, they didn't have the ocean. They had this temple, the Temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. And people would travel from all over to go to the Temple of Artemis. In fact, it was kind of similar to, to Myrtle Beach in that, that they would actually have, like, street vendors out down. Think of them as, like, uh, beachwear stores all around the area. And you could go and buy trinkets. So you could buy, like, a little miniature version of the Temple of Artemis and take it home. And just like you buy, like, you know, shells or a Myrtle Beach t-shirt or the airbrush, kind of whatever you want to airbrush, airbrush hat, t-shirt, whatever, you buy the bumper sticker, you take it home, and then you forget about it, you throw it in the trash about six months later. They had that kind of thing going on in Ephesus. So a similar sized city, it was a trade city, it was a major city at the time. So, you know, and that way a little bit different from Myrtle Beach, but just play with me here, because the, the, everything, I'm trying to tie it together with us. A, a, a tourist town, town of about 300,000 people, Paul shows up, and we're gonna, actually going to read about how it happened here. He planted a church, and it was a successful church plant. So two, three, four, five years down the road, like, it's going pretty well. It's one of the few letters that Paul wrote to a church that he's not, like, saying, hey, you guys are crazy. You have lost your mind. Like, he writes to the church at Corinth, and they're doing crazy stuff. Like, there's a, a man sleeping with, it's like, it's, it's all kinds of weird stuff going on. This is the one church where he's not, like, saying, hey, you guys are out of line. He's saying, hey, keep going. And let's see how the church was started here. Um, because... The reason that we wanted to do this and look at, uh, look at the church of Ephesus is obviously we're planting a church. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts, actually, Acts chapter 19. And so we were thinking, like, you know, we want to be a successful church plant. Like, we want to be the kind of church plant that lasts, that, does, that doesn't start and fizzle out over a short period of time. But you guys, like... I, I don't know, however, you're, if you're visiting today or you've been on the road with us a little while, like, it's kind of weird to be part of a church plant. Let's just own the elephants in this room, all right? Uh, in this large room where a small group of people are here, it's weird to be a part of a church plant. Uh, there's just, it, it's, it's weird, first of all, when somebody asks me, being part of one of the church planters, is why do we need another church? Like, we have a billion churches in the Myrtle Beach area. Why are you starting one more church? Why, why are you doing that? That's a weird question to have to answer. People ask, like, why? So you, you guys, why? Oh, ask for me. Like, this morning, I was up, my, well, I was, I was, my alarm went off before 5 p.m., before 5 a.m. this morning. I was up a little bit after 5 to get this, like, as little as this is, to, to get rolling. I have to get rolling early and get everything doing. It's so weird. People ask me, why would you want to do that? You already have a business. You have a family. Why are you doing that? They ask you. Maybe they ask you or maybe you ask yourself sometimes, why am I attending a church plant? This morning, why am I going to show up to church at a school? There's a weird element to that, isn't that? Uh, it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit weird when you walk into a room this size and a small group of people. Uh, this is a small group today. Last week, they were like... Six and a half of us in here. It was even a smaller group. Six and a half people were in this room. That's a fact that you look at on our attendance sheet. Six and a half people. Because some of you guys, you pay half attention through this. We count you halfway. 
have six and a half. This and you're like, there's a weird element when you walk in to do that. There's a weird element when you walk into. Uh, it's kind of a. It's kind of a. It's one thing to go to a church is a weird enough kind of thing, particularly if you don't come from a church background to go to church. But to walk into a church that meets in a school that's a small group of people that you don't know anybody and things are kind of weird, like things are aren't set up the way church normally rolls. Like the nursery is in a classroom. Uh, you know, you're you got things hanging up, banners, and it's just kind of a weird. There's cords all over the place. Like what, what's going on with that? It's kind of a weird element to be a part of a church plan. But, but why would we want to do that? And why would more church in the We're going to look and see how Paul planted the church at Ephesus. And we're going to look back and see why are we doing this? How do you become a successful church plant so that one day, oh, it's not going to be me because Paul's a lot smarter and more profound and godly than I am, but one day somebody five, ten years down the road can write this kind of letter back to us. Let's look at the book of Acts first. We're going to run through two chapters. I know if you've ever seen me speak before, you're like, you don't run through anything. But we're, I promise you we're going to do, oh, I, I promise you we're going to do our best to do that. Um, so before we get to, to 19, Paul shows up in the, in the, in the city of Ephesus, uh, a major city, 300, 250 to 300,000 people. And there's already, he meets some, already there are some disciples there because a guy named Apollos showed up and he preached about Jesus, but he didn't know the whole story. He just said, hey, this is a cool guy Jesus, that named Jesus that came. And this guy came before him named John. If I'm confusing you, just stick with me. He came John and he preached repentance. And so Apollos apparently showed up in Ephesus saying, hey, you guys are sinful. You need to get your act together. You need to repent. And people said, hey, yeah, we need to do that. And so then Paul shows up on the city and look at uh, verse I'm not, I don't have this on the screen for you guys. I apologize, but there's just too much that we're going to run through to actually put on the screen. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 19, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so he had already left Ephesus, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. That's what I was just telling you guys. And Paul said, John baptized uh, the baptism of repentance telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. So he preached that, hey, your life is not right before God. Something needs to change. And they had responded to that. Verse 5, on hearing this, because uh, Paul added to it that he, the one he was telling you about was Jesus. And so he told about how he had died on the cross for the sins as a substitutionary atonement between them and God. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. So Paul came, in, came into Ephesus, preached the gospel, and 12 people responded. You know, there's been some Sundays here, I told you, we've had like six and a half people here. There's been some Sundays, there's been 12 people here. But you have to start somewhere. Somewhere you address a group of people and say, hey, this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has done. And, and some people, it captures their heart. Maybe you're here this morning and that's never happened for you. Maybe you grew up in church. You have some kind of church background. You kind of believe Jesus was a good guy. You believe there is a God. You believe that the Bible is scripture. But something has just never happened to you. So that, that click has never happened. That coin has never dropped. Where, where, where it, it moved from something, something, hey, yeah, I believe. Or it's a part of a church I go to. But it, it, the Holy Spirit came upon you and in you and regenerated you. 
so that you were born again. So one moment you were not a believer, the next moment you were a believer. <clears throat> these guys believed about Jesus. They were churchgoers. They knew the deal. But they didn't know him until Paul came in and preached to them and told them about who he was and what he'd done. Do you respect Jesus or do you love him? Do you respect Jesus or do you worship him? The difference is humongous. And the difference has to do with God coming in and changing your taste buds so you taste him differently than you do before. I told you guys before, like, well, David, I... I would like to like soccer. I'm going to, I'm going to confess to you and John right now. Because after service last week, you guys were talking about soccer. And I have, to, I have to tell you, I would like to like soccer. It's something that's kind of like sushi. Like one day I said, I would like to like that. It looks cool. You see guys wearing their cool soccer shirts and going. And it's like they're part of a club that nobody else is a part of. And I have watched the game and I do not understand it. I, I, I don't get it. I don't think it's called the beautiful game. I just see guys running around and hitting, kicking a ball. I don't get it. Something is going to have to happen in me to cause me to appreciate it, to really love it. And that's what it's like from knowing and believing that Jesus is God and you turning one day and saying, but I, today I love him and I worship him and I'm going to give my life to him. That's what we're about when we're trying to plant a church in the Myrtle Beach area. 70% of people in the Murphy's area do not go to church on a regular basis in some mornings. And they don't. We're not trying to up church attendance in Myrtle Beach area. We're trying to see people come to meet Jesus personally and savor him and love him and worship him from their heart. Not because it's something they're supposed to do or they have to do, but because it is the greatest desire of their soul because they have met him. They have seen him in his, in his beauty. Do you remember that moment if you're in love with somebody today? If you're in love with somebody today, you remember that moment where you sat across the table from them? Or you sit beside them in the movies or you're walking with them on the beach and you looked in their eyes and you realized, like, I love them. Like, maybe when I first met them, I couldn't stand them or I wasn't sure about them. There were some things I, I, I didn't really know. But that moment you look in their eyes and you feel that feeling that's different where you love them, that's the difference when the coin drops. You love and you worship and you savor Jesus for all that he is. And that's why we're planning the church. And that's why Paul planted this church in Ephesus. And the next thing that happened, verse 8, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with them, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years this is a great phrase. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So it wasn't, he didn't just plant one church in Ephesus and have a big mega church and like, so he could drive a Cadillac and everybody could dump a bunch of money in the, in the offering plate. They could have lights and smoke and lasers and, uh, you know, pastor coming in on the zip line and, you know, he could live in a giant gated community, with, you know, with a cool house that had like six, six garages. Like that's not his purpose. 
purpose in planting a church. He planted a church so that people could know him. And then outside of that church, it started this church planting movement where somebody said, you know, I live in the suburb out, outside Ephesus. I'll plant a church over here. Somebody said, I'll plant a church over here so that the whole region surrounding Ephesus all of a sudden had church plants shooting up all over the place with people populated by people who had come to love and to worship Jesus from their heart. That's why we're planting this church, and that's why Paul planted the church in Ephesus. And then read, um, so he spent two to three years there. It already says that he spent two years reasoning in the hall of Tyrannus. And then if you, if you have uh, your Bible, you can skip over to chapter 20, verse 17. This is after he had planted the church. He'd been with them a few years. He left them. And now he's kind of passing by the area and he stops. He's on his way to Rome um, on his last journey. And he says, now from, verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they had come to him, he said to them, um, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Holy Spirit. Not knowing what will happen to me there. Then he goes down. And he goes on to tell them that he's not going to see them again. Paul's telling us something that happens in a church plant. The beautiful thing about a church plant is it isn't somebody coming in in a stadium proclaiming the gospel and then moving away. The beautiful part of a church plant and us being a part of a church plant together is that we get to share each other's lives. Hear what he, how, he, how he told them, how he'd been with them through trials. He'd been through them with difficult times. He'd been with them in good days. He had walked with them through the gospel. He walked with them through their, through their life. He had showed them. He, and they had showed each other how to support each other and love each other and encourage each other on to good works. That's the beauty that happens inside of a church plant. That's the beauty that happens inside of not just a church plant, any successful church of people who are struggling with life together. Who are struggling with life well together, who hold each other's arms up, who bear each other's burdens. So when you're crying, they, they cry with you. And when you're rejoicing, they rejoice with you. When you're going through a tough time, they go through it with you. That's why when this third pillar over here, this third banner of community is up here is so important because church, your Christian life cannot happen on an island. It cannot happen alone. It's like, a, it's like a charcoal that you pull away from the rest of the fire. It's just going gonna, gonna to smolder. It's eventually going to go out. You cannot keep the fire going on your own for very long. You have to have people who come in and help you and bear the burdens with you, who hold your arms up, who when things get too heavy, they come in and they help you. Whenever you can't walk anymore, they come in and they carry you. When you're tired, they, they're, they're there with you. When you're struggling, they struggle with you through it together. You cannot live your Christian life on your own, separated and cut off. We're planning a church because ultimately, look in Ephesians back when you see Paul writes this letter back to them that we've been studying the past few months. After he leaves them, He's heard about what's going on. He writes a letter to encourage them. He's never going to see them again face to face. 
And then in chapter 3, verse 9, Paul was beaten, suffered, went through all kinds of pains of being a church planter. Uh, I haven't gone through anything like that, but it's not always easy. It's not always a cup of tea. It's not always fun. It's not always easy and fun to be a part of a church plan. But this is why we're doing it. Verse 9 of chapter 3. Well, we'll start in 8. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, as Paul writing, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So God had a mystery. God was working a plan. God had something going on. He, was, he, was, he had a plan that he was working out. And how did, what was the plan? Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is why we're planning a church. This is why Paul planted the church in Ephesus. The church is so important because it's only through the church that his, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed to the world. It is in the church that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed to the world. I want you guys to see this morning the beauty of the church. Because for a lot of people, church is just something that you go to on Sunday morning. It might be a few meetings a week that you attend. But Jesus Christ died and came to earth to save the church. To save a people for his own possession. Jesus Christ died and came to earth to save a people for himself. And it's it's beautiful. The church is, is messed up. I don't know what your church background is like. I don't know if you've been hurt. I don't know if you've been wounded. I don't know if you've had bad experiences. But as, as marred and messed up and imperfect as the church is, the church is beautiful. He died to save it. It's his bride. Well, what do you think about church? Is it just something that you attend on Sunday or a couple of meetings you go to a week? Or do you recognize that the church is important because it's God's plan to show forth his beauty? Because people need to see the beauty and the glory of God to, to come to know him. People out there today, all in the Myrtle Beach, Grandstrand area, are driving around, playing golf, have their business, have their job, have their work, doing all their things. They're going to take the kids to school. they got a full life. They're not thinking about anything. They need to be arrested and see how beautiful and glorious Jesus Christ is. Because when you see him, when you really see him, when you get a taste of him, nothing else satisfies. You realize that he was the one for whom you were created. He's the one your heart longs for. When you're going to bed at night and you're getting ready to fall asleep and you recognize for a split moment that I'm not satisfied with my life. That this, there has to be more to this. The answer is Jesus. He's the one. And people need to see how beautiful and glorious he is. And how do they see that? They see that in the church. They see that in the way you and I become a part of the church and we live in community, community together, gathered around the person of Jesus Christ.
What do you think about church? Is it a throwaway thing that you're a part of? Or do you recognize that it is God's plan A for the salvation of the world? That it's his beautiful bride that he's returning for again. Why would it be worth it for Paul to travel in the ancient way that he traveled to go to the city of Ephesus and plant, go to other cities and plant churches? In the meantime, he's beaten. He almost drowns. He goes through shipwrecks. He's stoned. He he has all, sometimes he's poor. He he has struggles and troubles all the time. Why would he go through that? Because he was captured with the beauty of Jesus Christ and he wanted other people to be captured with the same beauty and he recognized the place that happens is in the local church. The place that happens is a body of believers who say, we are going to live life on mission together for the glory of God. When you recognize that because I am now, I'm a believer, all my life belongs to him. I'm going to give all my life back to him to serve him and to worship him. And I'm going to join with a band of people who have the same purpose. And together, we're going to struggle through life together. We're going to live in community. We're going to help each other grow. And we're going to live life on mission to take that good news of what Jesus Christ has done, who he is, on what he's done for us and who he is for us to the area around us, to your workplace, to your neighborhood, to the community at large. The church is God's plan A to show his glory. But how does that happen? How do we get there? Uh, I know we're jumping around a lot today. It's not something I like to do, but uh, it's just kind of the way it's written. Now, let's look back at, uh, at Acts, if you would. Acts 19. We're going to look at a few elements that makes a church plant successful. Um, chapter 19, verse 8. We already read this, but let's look again. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The first element of a successful church plan is an acceptance of truth. It's for the people who are part of the the church to accept truth. To to accept that the way that you that the way that you think about the world, the way that you think about life, the way that you interpret the events that happen in your life isn't sufficient on its own. That it's what God says about something that's more important than what you say or I say about something. It's to say that that I don't get to determine my own way. I don't get to determine what is right and what is wrong for myself. That there is truth outside of me that I have to bow to and I have to obey. The first thing that happens is we accept truth. And so that's why as a church plan, we work through books of the Bible expositorily. That means it's like verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. Because what you guys need to hear isn't what I have to say. 
What you guys need to hear is now what Dale or anybody else has to stand up here to say you, no matter how smart or clever or how godly they are, what you and I need to hear is what does Scripture say? What does the Bible say? What does God say? And so we together as a church stand under the truth of Scripture. The first thing we have to do is we have to accept truth. The next thing that happens is the uh, repentance from false idols. Look at chapter 19, verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. This is after that crazy story that happens where these guys called the seven sons of Sceva, they try to cast out a a demon and uh, they say they get beat up in the the meantime because they don't know Jesus. It's pretty crazy about this one dude. And then verse 17, and this, that crazy story became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The second thing that happens for a successful church plant is repentance from false idols. In this case... There were some actual idols. There was people doing all kinds of crazy stuff in the city of Ephesus. But in, in modern America, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, we have tons of idols that we worship. Some of, some of us in this room, we tend to worship the idol of success. If I'm successful, if I can be successful, I will give everything I can in order to be successful. Some of us worship the idol of, of sex. Some of us worship the idol of being in a relationship. Some of us worship the idol of money itself. Some people, some of us in this room, we worship all kinds of idols, things that you pick that are, that are of highest worth, of highest value to you, and you build your whole life around those things. And when the truth comes to you that Jesus Christ is the king and that you have to fall in line and to worship him, and to, then you have, something has to happen. You either decide, I'm going to go my own way, or you have to repent and turn away from what you're doing. And the second thing that has to happen for a church plan to be successful, for us to, to not, to, for us to, to be for two, three, five, ten years down the road, for you as an individual Christian, two, five, ten years down the road to be a successful believer is a repentance from false idols. To figure out what in your life are you worshiping rather than Jesus. What are you finding your meaning and security and value in life from outside of Jesus Christ? Is it from being a part of a relationship? Is it from having kids that people like look at you and say, oh man, you're the parent with the good kids? Is it that you have the, the successful job? Or is it that your house is always clean? Or whatever the case would be for you that you find your value and security from. What are you worshiping? And we turn away from those false idols. The third element of a successful church plant is a change of worship. Look at Acts 19 verse 23. About that time, this is still in the city of Ephesus, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. This is so cool. They they called it the way at the time. (coughs) For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. And so I'll just summarize this for you. So he gets them all together and he says, hey guys, 
so, so you know, these guys are coming, they plant this church. A lot of people start to become believers. Like, they've, they, they're believing the truth. They're repenting of their, of their old works. Well, this terrible thing is happening now. They're not worshiping our idols. And, and, and this is going to hurt our pocketbook because you and I, we make these idols that they worship. And, and they're going to say, this is a cool, cool verse. He says, and they're going to say, Verse 20 says, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. That's kind of silly to have to say, isn't it? Like you would worship something made with your hands, but we and, you and I do it all the time. We worship all kinds of things. And it, the word had spread so much in the area that people were turning away from worshiping the false idols, the false gods, and they had turned their attention to worship Jesus Christ. So not only do you repent of false idols, but you turn and you change your worship. I wonder this morning in this room what some of us are worshiping. What do we gain ultimate security and value and safety from? Like, what, ha- what has to happen at the end of the day that you consider, like, this was a good day? Like, I'm successful. I'm good. I'm okay. What happens at the end of the week that you're able to say, hey, I have value? And you have to turn away from that and worship the one true God. And the, second, the, third, the fourth thing that has to happen, uh, acceptance of truth, repentance from false idols, a change of worship, number four, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. We already read at the beginning. Remember when Paul showed up, and there, there were believers there that were already believing. It says he found disciples, but he said he preached the gospel to them, he prayed for them, and the Holy Spirit showed up. In, in, verse, um, in verse 11 of chapter 19, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them. The defining element that sets Christians apart from anybody else isn't your conduct. Because frankly, I know, I know people who don't believe in Jesus who are much nicer people than I am. It, it's not even... The thing that sets Christians apart from other people is that if you have been born again, God's spirit resides in you. What sets the church apart from any other group of people that gather any other time? As so when we gather because God lives in each one of us as believers, his spirit in us, then he is in us and among us. So that when people come in from the outside, they're not believers, they want to know what this whole thing about, they come in around us and they sense something different. It may not be because you're such a nice person, Keetra, though you're a really nice person. It may not be because you have it all together. It may not be because you're a great parent or you've got this whole morality thing down or you've memorized half of the Bible. The thing that will set us apart is that when people come around us, they sense God's spirit in us and among us. That empowers us to live differently. There should be a different flavor to believers. And that's why we have to plant, and we are planting this church in Myrtle Beach. That's why I'm asking you this morning, 
what is your view of the church? Is this something that you just come to or is it something you get your hands down deep and dirty in and you become a part of that you, that you, that you, that you jump in head first into and, and say, I'm going to do this because it's not about finding a church that you like. It's not finding a church, uh, a church that is comfortable. It's not about finding any of that. It's about being a part of a community of people that are struggling well with each other for the glory of God in the Grand Strand area. So that when people come around us in our gatherings and we're gathered like this or we're gathered in homes or we're sitting around having coffee or you're in a Bible study with somebody every Tuesday morning at, at Cracker Barrel or wherever you get together, at what, that they sense something different. They taste something different around you because what they see and taste is Jesus Christ in our midst. And they realize how beautiful and glorious The fuel for a successful church plan is a people who are enamored with the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. The fuel for a successful church plan are a people who are enamored with the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. So here's my ask for you this morning. Are you enamored with Jesus? Thank you. Are you enamored with Jesus? Have you found him to be the one for whom you were created? Have you responded to him and his glory and his beauty and his claim that he is the king of the universe and said, you are, I will bow before you and I will give my life to you? Have you heard him say that you are separated from the father apart from him and that that if you will place your faith and trust in him, that he paid the penalty that was due to you on the cross, that you will have newness of life? Have Have you responded to that in faith? And have you tasted of his glory and his beauty in such a way that everything else pales in comparison? If you haven't, I want you to be honest this morning about that. And I want you to deal with him this morning. Say, is this the day, is this the morning that I place my faith and trust in him personally? Now become a new creation, a new creature. Is this the day? Maybe you're here and you say, yeah, I am a believer. I'm a, I'm a Christian. My question to you is, has it become dull? Has it become dry for you? Because Paul ends the book of Ephesus. You don't have to turn there. Paul, Paul ends the, church, the, the book of Ephesus. Dale already read it. He says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That's how he ends. That's how he closes off the book. He says, you have to love Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. A love that doesn't wane. A love that doesn't go away. A love that doesn't fade. A love that doesn't, that doesn't go away after a, a month or a year or a couple of years. And this is why he wrote it, because years later, maybe, maybe about 20 years later, John, the Apostle John, is on the Isle of Patmos. 
And he has a vision of Jesus. And Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus. And he says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. So he goes on down the line. He says, hey, you guys are a pretty good church. You hold truth. You believe the right doctrine. You, You show up every Sunday. You do the right thing. And then he gets to this end. He says, but this one thing I have against you. This one thing I have against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Maybe you hear you are a Christian. And the love has waxed away. We see this short span, 20 years, this successful church plant, the whole city, the whole city of Ephesus heard, the whole region around Ephesus heard, and yet maybe 20 years later, he's writing this letter back to them. He says, you've forgotten your first love. I don't know how long you've been a Christian this morning. Maybe a year, two years, maybe 20 years, maybe a long time. Has your your love waxed and waned? Wax means to get bigger than Has your love waned? Has it grown dull? Have you forgotten that first love? This morning, as the band gets ready to come up, we're going to do communion together. I want us to think about that question. And I want you personally, right where you are, to take an assessment of your heart and your love. Is it weak? Is it frail? Is it empty? Or is it vibrant? Because the only way you're going to be a successful Christian who is lasting a long time, who five years, ten years down the road is still going hard after Jesus, and the only way that we're going to be a successful church plant who five, ten, twenty years down the road are hitting the mission for Jesus is if we have a red hot, white hot love for Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.